Today on Keep Classical Weird, we're discussing a most infamous tale of classical music history, the creation and premiere of the ballet The Rite of Spring. The Rite of Spring tells the story of this this ancient Slavic culture yeah. that ends up sacrificing a young maiden as per their seasonal yeah. rite, seasonal ritual. There's there's some other things about it. I just I just look at it as I mean, you're just waiting around till she dies. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, friends, to episode 21 of Keep Classical Weird. I am your host, Casey Bozell, and today we're going to take a historical dive with Dr. Taggart into the wild world behind Stravinsky's ballet, The Rite of Spring. The work premiered in 1913, and Dr. Taggart will take us through that specific part of the story in just a little bit. But let's talk first about the powerhouses that were involved to get this thing premiered. The four people who were primarily responsible for the production of The Rite of Spring were all artistic giants in their own fields. We have Igor Stravinsky, composer, Sergei Diaghilev, producer, Vaslav Najinsky, choreographer, and Nicholas Rorick, designer. All of the people involved with the Rite of Spring, they were so, I mean, I look at their names all together. I'm like, whoa, what a power team. I mean, it's like, if there was maybe a fifth person in this set of four people, they would have been, you know, the Fab Five gymnasts or something. You know? Sure, like, yeah. They're like so big. So, I mean, Diaghilev has this amazing ability to produce some of our most memorable ballets and productions of all time. I mean, the Ballet Russe is just famous for so many productions and it's and it's under Diaghilev that 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 happened he worked with WC he worked with Ravel he worked with Strauss he worked with Poulenc and Prokofiev and then Nijinsky oh and he was he was totally in love with Nijinsky and Nijinsky was not into him at all so Nijinsky is a dancer and he's choreographing some of the most famous works again you know he choreographed uh prelude to the afternoon of a fawn which is so outside of what the music sounds like i mean his 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 choreography is so angular and like robotic it's just crazy so mm-hmm. he he did that he eventually got fired by a diaghilev because he got married to someone else and Diaghilev was really upset. I mean, like in today's society, he could have sued the pants off Diaghilev. Seriously. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and it, poor Nijinsky ended up in like living in men's mental institutions for the last 30, 30 years of his life. I mean, these characters are, are like, I say characters, they were people. <laughs> right. <laughs> they were real people, but they were like so fascinating. So you have Diaghilev in love with Nijinsky. Diaghilev is producing. Nijinsky is doing the choreography and dancing. And then you have Stravinsky, who's writing the music. And then you have Nicholas Rorick, who came up with the plot, the action, the scenery, and the costumes, which, when you think about it, is a pretty significant portion of a ballet. It's kind of a lot. Um, Yes. And later, Stravinsky downplayed Rorick's involvement. And it was kind of, I don't know, I, I have I have theories as to why. But yeah, he downplayed it. But really, without those four people in that place at that time, we would not have had 
the rite of spring because they were just the perfect recipe to get this iconic work. You say the word ballet, and for most people, immediate images come to mind. And most of those images are completely at odds with what the rite of spring actually was. Leading up to it, Stravinsky's writing the music, they're doing the rehearsals, and and it's very strange choreography and everything's very different and the music is not at all like you would think a ballet would sound you know if you're thinking about like the nutcracker or swan lake i mean this is the opposite of that (laughs) i mean period (laughs) it's the opposite yeah can you can you give a can you describe why i mean because i agree with you if you heard this outside of the context of any knowledge, you wouldn't immediately think it was a ballet. And why is that? Because the time of of the music, the rhythms are so angular and asymmetrical and uh, irregular. So, you know, when you're dancing, you need some kind of steady beat <laughs> or something that is predictable to, you know, dance around and, you know, do these these movements, at least with how ballet was being danced at that time. From the very first romantic ballet, which was early 19th century, all the way till we get Rite of Spring, the ballets that we're seeing are romantic ballet. It's ballet that's on point or on point. And the dancers are dancing on point. They've got these leaps and, and they're starting to do all of these standard romantic ballet movements. Ballet starts having a look you know, when when people think of ballet today, they think of the pink or white tutus, the ballet shoes, the pulled back hair in a bun. And uh, you think of how Natalie Portman looked in Black Swan. So you've got you've got a very distinct look of ballet. It doesn't mean that all ballet was like that. They had character ballet, which the Nutcracker is character ballet. You have a very distinct look and expectation when you go to the ballet. And the Rite of Spring is not conforming to that. I mean, it's irregular rhythms. And then the costumes that Rorick designed were completely different. The scenery, everything. The choreography of Nijinsky, that's out, out of control. And then also, I think one of the important things to remember is that when you go to the ballet, you expect to see solos or duos between the the prima donna and and the the main male dancer and you expect to see these beautiful intimate dances but in the rite of spring it's all group dancing the only solo dance is at the very end when we when the storyline has progressed to the point where the the young girl the young maiden has been identified to be sacrificed right and so we see her frantic and and um, scared dance right before the sacrifice and her dancing herself to death. So the only time you get a solo dance, which everyone likes seeing, it's this crazy dance at the end and then <laughs> she dies. The premiere of The Rite of Spring is a well-known story in music history. And Dr. Taggart let me know that it's one of her favorites to teach. So I have to set the stage. Please. Okay. Okay. Paris, France, May 29th. 1913. It's really hot out. Like people are cranky from the heat. Okay. They decide to go to the ballet. The tickets are expensive. 
but they've been told by the newspapers that there's going to be a provocative new ballet premiered. So they're like, let's go see this. What could go wrong? We're going to go see some lovely people dancing in tutus. So they show up at the theater. It's completely sold out. It's packed. And they're all jammed in there like a bunch of sardines. And they show up and the program starts first off with um, Les Sylphides, which is your standard uh, ballet blanc ballet. It's danced to the music of Chopin. It's, um, you know, these beautiful sylphs dancing in these white tutus and, and just, you're st- I mean, you go and you're like, oh, this is nice. And that's a, a production that's been done a few years back. So you're, you're good to go. And then the Rite of Spring starts. And it starts with a bassoon coming in on a solo E natural, one of its highest notes. And it sits there uncomfortably and then starts this weird little melodic line. And then some other winds come in and they start talking to each other. But it's so outside of what you would expect ballet to be. So at this point, there is there are stories of people starting like to rustle in their seats because <laughs> they're like... What is going on? So then, you know, it it progresses and about two or three minutes into it, finally we get that. accented part and they just start going nuts they're like what is this this is not ballet they see what's on the stage and it's visually not ballet or what they're used to so they start getting really upset things are not going well the production's going well that's fine it goes as is you know it's it's they've they've rehearsed it's fine the audience does not enjoy it and and the second half of the production is supposed to be another you know standard ballet with music by Carl Maria von Weber and then it ends with Paulette Vetsy and Dances by Borodine so you have this new premiered work that is completely nuts sandwiched in standard ballet So these people show up to the theater thinking they're going to get one thing and they get something else just kind of snuck in there and they are not happy. (laughs) The audience did not respond well. There's mixed, you know, mixed documentation about whether or not it was a full on riot or if it was, you know, just a lot of craziness in the hall and people like not enjoying it. But one thing is for sure, the audience let their opinion be heard. (laughs) So we have that. And then it was, it was enough to apparently haunt Stravinsky for years to come. And he would, he would say later that they were rioting at the visual element, not the music. He said they liked the music. They were rioting because visually it was too much. So that's why I think maybe he downplayed, you know, Rorick's involvement. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 that guy. 
That's what I'm wondering if maybe he didn't want to be associated with that as much anymore. So he just kind of downplayed it and, you know, said, well, I wrote the music. Do you think that's true? Because it seems to me that the music would have a lot to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think that is something that Stravinsky had to tell himself to downplay what could have been a traumatic experience for him. You know, he put his heart and soul into this piece and, and it just got horrible reviews and people didn't like it. And it closed after like a week. I have um, a couple of reviews that of, of the work like 10 or so years later. And my favorite one is from the Boston Herald from 1924. This person wrote a review and it's just simply a poem and it goes like this (laughs) who wrote this fiendish rite of spring what right had he to write the thing against our helpless ears to fling it's crash clash clicking clang bing bang bing and then to call it rite of spring the season went on joyous wing the birds melodious carols sing and harmonies in everything He could write the right of spring. If I be right, by right should swing. Wow. I know. Like 10 years later, they were hating on it. Yeah. And that's, that's commitment to the hatred too, to, to really put it together. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. Isn't that such a good concert review? I feel like I should review all concerts in poetic form from here on out. (laughs) And that's our show for today. My greatest thanks, as always, to Dr. Sophia Taggart at Washington State University. My friend, you're just so much fun. Our theme music is by Thomas Barber. Check him out at thomasbarber.com and his Instagram at thomasbarbermusic. Web development support is provided by Tina at citybeautifuldesign.com. Keep Classical Weird is created and edited by me, Casey Bozell. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon, where a subscription to the podcast will also grant you access to a growing library of bite-sized music appreciation videos called Casey Does Classical. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Stay safe and stay weird. Stay weird.